in the Gospel of John. If you don't have Bibles, there's some that are under your pews. And we are in chapter 6. You'll want to turn there to, to verse 37. We began looking at a little bit of, of these verses last Sunday, but I, I wanted to spend more time here because um, these verses from verses 37 through 40 are just incredible blessing to us as his people. Will you join me in, in prayer as we pray? Um, Lord, Lord God, we, we first come before you and just give you thanks for who you are and all that you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that has just been poured out um, all over us, Lord, in such a way that um, we couldn't ask for more. Sins removed by the precious blood of Christ upon the cross through faith in him. And a, a hope that, that causes us to be filled with just incredible joy and contentment. We thank you for our church family here. We thank you for those that you have brought into the church, Lord, and the way that you did that, the way that you've worked in, in, in ministering to us. Lord, I think of just your kindness upon each and every one of us, Lord. I pray, Lord, on, on this day that, that we would approach your word in, with, such, with such humility, wanting to be instructed by you, wanting your Holy Spirit to just cause our eyes to see what it is that you would have for us, that it might bring us incredible joy. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday is Christmas Sunday. Can you believe that? We're like, we're like almost there. Um, and then we'll have a Christmas Eve service. And uh, Christmas Sunday, always the Sunday before Christmas, so you know. Um, but uh, Christmas Sunday, and then, um, and then Christmas Eve service, and then We'll be together for a New Year's Sunday, the Christ, or the Sunday before New Year's. Well, we are in uh, John chapter 6, verse 37, and let's read verses 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Incredible passage of scripture before us this morning. For, for us, let's say for most of us, we like to be safe, don't we? We like to, to be in a place where um, we don't have to worry about what might happen to us. Um, we, 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 have, 
we have cars nowadays that, well, at least it's possible to have a car that will stop if you forget to stop to keep you from hitting the car in front of you. I would like to know if any of you have ever tested that theory. <laughs> Lights that blink, noises that are made if you're going to change lanes into somebody that's, that's next to you in your blind spot. We look at cars based on whether they have met certain safety standards. And, and for me, I look and I, I, I think... Okay, but it says that it's safe, the safest car in that class. Well, that class is like right next to go-kart. So what about the next class? Like, is that way safer? And, you know, and so we think like that. Um, we're careful. I think of, of even just, I'm, I'm I, I'm, I'm praying that I get through the service today with my voice because I read a story to Natalie yesterday and last night and my voice failed me like partway through the story. So I'm like, oh. but I, I'm paranoid when it comes to just trying to keep from getting sick. I go through half or after the game and, you know, you slap all the players' hands. Good game, good game, good game. And all I'm thinking is like, you, you're, you're sweaty, you're gross, you've probably been rubbing your face, you're sick. And I can't wait to get some Purell. Like I just want some Purell. And then I read that like there's ingredients in these antibacterial things. I read this this week that like cause your liver to fail, and I'm like, man, like what do you do? I'm gonna have to bring out like a jug of water and some soap after every game. And you you look, I, I saw this. We picked up Jonathan from school the other day, and I saw this mom take her kids out, and and right at the door, like as you exit, she stopped traffic and she's spraying she's spraying her kids down with something, and I'm like. The, that is so rude. I mean, it is so rude. Look, you at least wait till you get to the car, like, and to disinfect your kid. But then I thought, like, I wonder what it is. <laughs> Maybe we like that in the Otsuji home. But you look and you just think in general, like, you, you want to be safe when it comes to sickness. You want to be safe with your car. You want to be safe in other things. But, but as we look at our lives, we, we want to know that we will spend eternity with Christ in heaven, don't we? I mean, like, when you, when you think about eternity, when God says that this life is just like a vapor, it appears for a little while and then it vanishes away, and, and you think of eternity, we, we want to be safe. And there's those that would teach that you can lose your salvation. There's those that would... Um, would teach that, that not only is it a possibility, but it's a regular occurrence. And you'll have people that will go up, you know, maybe as a kid, you remember going up every, every Sunday and, and re, you know, saying the, 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 a prayer and, and praying for salvation. And, and then there's those that would be, you know, looked at as the once saved, always saved group. And, and, and you maybe look at them and think like, okay, yeah, but what about someone that's just, they said the prayer, but then they walked away. And you, and you, you could get to a place of, well, I don't know. I'm just going to, on the safe side, I'm just going to say the prayer over and over again and get resaved over and over again. And, and you're talking about extremes that would, would, would look at it as, as far as such that you can 
be baptized as an, as, as an infant or as an adolescent or say a prayer and then live exactly like the world and have no fruit that's in your life and you're okay. Um, I look and I, I pray that we would have God's word be that which is our authority in these areas. And we looked at this a little bit last week, but I, I wanted to spend more time with it because I, I, I think it's so important for us. I think it affects the way that we live our Christian lives. If you're always walking on eggshells, like, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not, you know? And you're, you're in a place of just, what's going to happen to I, and And your security is based on your performance rather than the finished work of Christ upon the cross and your faith in him. I think it, it changes radically the way that we worship him, the way that we pray to him, the way that we live our lives. And so let's look at our text this morning and I pray that, it, that it's a blessing to us. Jesus begins here in, in verse 37 by saying, All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. These words of our Lord are only possible if God is truly sovereign. For him to say, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It's, it's certainly difficult to read that particular section of that verse and walk away with a small view of God. Truly, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. There is a plan. All that the Father gives me will come to me. We began looking at that last week. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I'll never drive them away. This is an incredible promise. Picture that time in your life when your eyes were open to your sin and your need of a Savior. A time in your life where you realize the weight of your sin and what it is that, that you have done against a holy God. I mean, you, you start looking at it and... You, God's so clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's so clear when he says there's none righteous, no, not one. You look and you hear commandments by, such as the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if any one of us here is honest, we look and we say, like, I'm not, I'm I have not always loved him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, with all my strength. And I surely haven't always loved my neighbor as myself. I, I have not. You begin to look at other sins that God tells us. He gives us a law, and we, we look at it, and it, it's, it's such that it, it shows us our sin. God's word does. The Holy Spirit works through the power of his word to show us that 
We're liars. We lust. We have impure thoughts. We covet. We are angry in such a way that it's sin. And on and on. But the time in your life where God opened up your eyes to see your sin. Maybe you saw your sin and as you looked at it, it was just a it's just heinous sin. Maybe you were a, a prodigal child. Maybe you lived a life of hurting others. Maybe it was a life full of just incredible pride and selfishness and lust and greed. You may be thinking of the sins of your past and you know that there's only a few people who know about it, who really know some of the, the weightiest sins that you think of. Or, or maybe you're the only one you think that knows it. Well, think of the words of our Lord here. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. What a promise that is to us. If you're here this morning and your eyes are being opened right now to your sin, hear the words of our Lord. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Whatever it is that you have done in your life, whatever sin it is that you have ever committed, to be able to hear whoever it is, the one who comes to me, I will by no means drive away. I will by no means cast them out. Maybe you're still really young. We have some, we have some young ones in here this morning. And you look and you think just even like as, as a child, you can come. It's not that you have, you have to get to a certain age and then all of a sudden you can come. No, you, you can come now. You, you, you're old enough to know that you're a sinner, aren't you? You're old enough to know that Christ can pay the, the price for your sin. You're old enough to know that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And to be able to think like as a young child, whoever comes, I'll by no means cast out. You may be a young adult or middle-aged or upper-middle-aged or upper-upper-middle-aged or retired or maybe you're in the final chapters of your life. You may look at your life and it's just, man, you're so set in your ways. You've done things one way and it's been this way for as long as you can remember. But you look at the history of your life. You look at the last however many decades and you just look at it and just, you could just picture in your mind times where there was just so much guilt or maybe there wasn't guilt, but there is now. And there's the sin that, that has been accumulated, relationships that have been broken, difficulties that have been there. And to be able to, to look and to hear the Lord say, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Regardless of the sin, regardless of your age, 
This promise has no restrictions at all. The one who comes to Christ, he will by no means cast out. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And you begin to think of the will of God. You think of a God who does whatsoever he pleases to do. A God who has a holy will, a sovereign will. A will that is always perfect. And you read the next words here. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. Of all, of all that the Father has given to Christ, Christ said, I should lose nothing. I'll lose none of them, but should raise it up at the last day. To me, the, how do you read this any other way? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, all. You see it in verse 37. All that the Father gives me. Again, here in verse 39. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. I love these words because it makes me safe. It it doesn't make me safe in my own abilities. It doesn't make me safe because I look at my life and I look and I say, okay, have I done enough? Is, Is there enough? Have I done enough? When was the last time I said that prayer? What what has taken place since I said the prayer last time? Have I done enough? It's it's not based on that. It's looking at God's word here and hearing his, his perfect word. And being able to see that he is the one that holds us in his hands. In verse 40 it goes on and says, And this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Everyone. This is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son, Christ, and believes in him, believes in him, that he is God, believes that he is the second person of the Trinity, believes that he came here to earth and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to take the place of us and to pay the price for our sin. And he rose again from the dead on the third day. And whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. 
Your hope isn't based on your performance. Your hope is based on a God who has given you to his son. A God who when you come to him, he will by no means drive you away. A God who says, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. These words to me are some of the most precious words that I could ever hear, that any of us could ever hear. To be able to think that God has accomplished this for us, that he has done this for us. I can't read a passage like this and think, I serve a small God. It's dependent upon me whether or not I'm able to do enough, whether my works are good enough. It's all based on faith in him. I preached a sermon here on October 14th of 2007 um, related to this subject and gave a list of reasons why it is that we are secure in Christ. Um, I want to just quickly go through these with you this morning without looking at all the proof texts. But the proof texts are there on the website if you want to go there later. And the notes. But you look in... in First Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Powerful. I mean, the God who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He will sanctify you completely. Your whole spirit, your soul, your body will be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. We look and we see that our salvation is guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ. Our inheritance cannot be destroyed. Our salvation is kept by the power of God. It's not by our own strength. Let me read to you another passage. First um, Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Picture, I mean, you have an inheritance. You have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A hope because he rose again from the dead on the third day that you have an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled and it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Receiving, verse 9 says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're, You're kept by the power of God through faith. God's all-powerful. He's absolutely all-powerful. You look in 
Romans 14.4, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. He's able to do that in your life. He is able to make you stand. Now you think in your life, you think, yeah, but what about the times I've fallen away? What about the times I've just wandered? You think of Peter, right? Before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. And you, you, you look at his life, he denies Christ three times. Christ even looks at him, sees him as this happened, the cock crows. But what does Jesus do? He, he reaches out to him, go tell the disciples and Peter. Reaches out to Peter. Satan wanted to sift you, but I prayed for you. I mean, you look and he's, he saves them. It's Christ who completes the work he began. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? The Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write these things so that we would look and say, okay, if he's for me, who could be against me? Look at what he's done in my life. He completes the work that he began. 2 Timothy 4.18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. You're looking. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When he was crucified, I was crucified with him, and now he lives in me. Huge sections of Scripture deal with this particular subject. You see... In Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Um, we're not under the law. Therefore, how can we be condemned for having violated the law? God would have to put us back under the system of the law. You go through scripture, you're not under the law anymore. Why? Because Christ fulfilled all of the law so that we no longer would have to be under the law, but we would be under grace. So for us to lose our salvation, we mean that God who took us from being under the law to no longer under the law would have to take us from that position to be back in a place of being under the law again. And we're not. He doesn't do that. Romans 11.5, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. It's grace. We're saved by grace. We're not under the law anymore. 
Why else can we know that we're safe? God's love for his people is eternal and unchanging. If he loved us when we were sinners with no righteousness of our own, why would his love cease now that we've been made righteous and brought to a place of peace with him? I mean, think of what you were. If he loved you then, and now you've been made righteous in Christ, now the Holy Spirit is in you and there's fruit that's coming forth from your life. If he loved you when you had no righteousness of your own, there was nothing that was there. The inclination of your heart was only evil continually. And now, as a believer, you see fruit coming from your life as a result of the Holy Spirit. Is he going to stop loving you now? Romans 5 eight. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If when we were sinners, he loved us, how much more now will he love us when we have been purchased by him, we have been redeemed, we have been made righteous, we have been reconciled by him? Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I've drawn you. I love you with an everlasting love. The gifts of God, next reason, the gifts of God are unable to be improved upon. They are unending, and he does not take them away. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Or Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So, the gifts of God are unable to be improved upon. They don't end. He doesn't take them away. He doesn't give you the gift of his son and then say, I'm now going to give you righteousness. I'm now going to make you my bride. I'll make you my children. I'll bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just kidding. Not going to do it now. He doesn't do that. He's unchanging. His gifts are irrevocable. Not only that, but as Christians, you're no longer dead in your sins, but you have everlasting life. You once were dead, dead in your sins. Scripture makes that very clear. But you're not anymore. In John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. You have been radically changed by God. 
Going from a place of being dead in your sins and trespasses to being made alive, given everlasting life. There is nothing everlasting about everlasting life if it could be lost. Whoever believes in him has everlasting life, eternal life. Jesus said in John 6, 51, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. I'm the bread that, I, and the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He protects us. As Christians, the Lord protects us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful. Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one? Or again, reference to Peter. Simon, Simon, in Luke twenty two thirty one. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And when you have returned to me, he doesn't say, I prayed for you. And if you return, strengthen your brethren. He's faithful to us. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Going further, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. But if you're a believer, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. L- listen to the words of our Lord. Who could bring a charge? Romans 8.33. Who could bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. Satan cannot do it. No sin that you could commit can do it. He forgives us. I think it's also important to know that you have already been made perfect. I mean, although we sin and we continue to sin, you have been made perfect in his eyes. Hebrews 10.10 By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.14 For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He has already perfected you forever even though you're continuing the sanctification process of being molded and conformed more and more into the image of God. I I mentioned this last week but I want to mention again. Paul you remember in Philippians 1.21 where he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what 
shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. What am I going to pick? I mean, if I had to pick to go to heaven or to stay here, I mean, it's far better to go there, but I think it's maybe more needful for me to stay here. If that were me, and I had a small view of God, and I thought that I could lose my salvation at any time, and I thought it all depended upon me and whether I was going to be able to endure and to be able to do these things, I would be like, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, I want to die now, because right now I'm in a good place. I don't know how many times I can handle being left out at sea. I don't know how many lashings I can handle from this point on. I don't know how many more times I can have them beat me like this or all the other things that happen to me daily. I mean, you look like there would come a point where you just say like, oh, I hope now, I hope now is the time that he comes. That's not what Paul says. I think it's more important for me to be here with you. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians one twenty one. Now he who establishes us with you is in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Those are the kind of words that are used, as a guarantee. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. No, God is the good shepherd. He'll leave the 90 and 9 and go get the one that went astray. He's not a bad shepherd. He's a good shepherd. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has 100 sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than the other 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It is not the will of our Father who is in heaven that one, that one of the little ones should perish. It makes me feel safe. Some of you guys, some of you you may be here this morning and you have strayed. You have strayed. And On a morning like today, as you come here, God says, I'm coming to get you this morning. And you look, and you just think, that's my Lord. I thought I was so sneaky. I thought I was pulling everything off. I thought everybody thought everything was okay. But no, God specifically comes for you today, calling you to repentance. God works in our hearts to preserve his people and to keep his people from permanently falling away. From permanently falling away. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Jeremiah 32.40, And I'll make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them, from, from doing them good. But I'll put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will surely plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Or Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Able to do it. He's able. And sometimes, haven't you seen it in your own life and in the life of others where he will, he will let you fall in a way where you, you come to a place of finally, I look at it and say, you, you fall so far that the only place that you can look is up. There, there's times like where I'll see someone just going to rebellion and I, just, I pray like, God, just help it, it, them either to come back to you now or help their fall to be fast. Where they quickly look back up towards you. But he does that. He tells us that he will present you faultless before his, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So why there's church discipline. The whole model of church discipline is to confirm that a person's a true believer. You look at it in Matthew 18 and verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Someone sins, go, tell them. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Meaning, believers here, if you're in sin and you're falling in sin and you, you're unrepentant and you have no desire to turn, and we approach you, your brother here approaches you, what are you doing? return. You're in sin. Look, this is where it says it, right here. And you're like, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Then go with two or three more. Come on, look. Have the people that know him in the church, all the people return. Because God says if, if there's no desire to repent at that point, treat them like a tax collector or a heathen. Assume they are an unbeliever. Because there's a work that takes place in people's hearts where you come to repentance. Ah, so many of us here, huh, in this sanctuary right now have fallen into sin. We've been corrected and we returned. Praise God for his grace in that. Praise God for his Holy Spirit that keeps us from stumbling all the way. For some people, they look and say, I know someone that was a believer, but they fell away. And I've never seen them come back. And that's where 1 John 2.19 comes in. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. They weren't Christians. They appeared, but they permanently fell away. There's wheat and there's tares. The tares look awful, an awful lot like the wheat, but they're still tares. You look and you see in Matthew seven twenty two, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
I never, I never knew you. Scripture is very, very clear on this. I, I would hope the weight of the scriptures that I read to you this morning, you would see that it is very, very clear. God saves us. He radically changes us. He makes you a new creation in him. He gives you righteousness. He gives you the seal of the Holy Spirit. He makes you who are dead alive. For him to, to unsave you would mean that he would have to make you dead again. And he'd have to take away the seal of the Holy Spirit away. That he would have to make you not a new creation anymore. He'd have to do a whole lot of stuff to change you back to being the old man again. Put you back under the law again. No longer under grace, under the law. It's very inconsistent with the entirety of Scripture as you look at it. We like being safe, don't we? This is how we are safe. In the arms of our Lord and through faith in him. Some people may be here this morning and you're not safe. This message is not for you. You are not safe if you're an unbeliever. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The whosoever there is those that believe in him. Their faith is in him. But the glory of the gospel is what we looked at this morning as far as whoever would come to him, he'll by no means cast out. Glorious. Glorious. There are no conditions on that statement. Whosoever comes to him, the one who comes to him, he will by no means cast out. He will raise them up on the last day. I love the gospel. I love the greatness of our God. I love how he has saved us for eternity and given us everlasting life. Much to be thankful for this morning. Let's close in prayer, and then Pastor Bill is going to come up and lead us in communion. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that if there's those that are here that are still dead in their sins and in unbelief, that today would be the day that their eyes are open. <laughs> they come. They, they come no matter what their age is, no matter what sins they've committed, that they would come to you. May today be the day of salvation for them. For the one who has felt so insecure and they've based their Christian life and their eternity on their own performance, Lord, please cause them just to love you this morning and rest in you and find a blessed contentment that can only come through the power of your word and a proper view of you, our sovereign God. And may all of us believers just, may our hearts be ignited to praise you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.